Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Chewing the Gristle podcast with me, your host, Greg Cock, Gregory Cockery, the Gristle Man, if you will. We have extemporaneous conversations with musical friends from all genres, walks of life, and nostril circumferences. Brought to you by our good friends at Wildwood Guitars in beautiful Louisville, Colorado, and Fishman Transducers of beautiful Andover, Massachusetts. Can you dig it? Majesty, grace, sinew, and power. I don't know what any of those words mean, but I know when I say any of them, I think of the mighty David Grissom, Texan guitar-wielding savage potentate. Tune in, because here he comes. Ladies and gentlemen, Gregory Cockery here. I'm from the Orange Room here in beautiful Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. And during these crazy times of pandemic activities where we can't travel around. I can't go out to Wildwood and everyone's kind of figure out different ways to have a little fun on the internet and get some content out that might be engaging and interesting to some folks. We thought it'd be fun to just have some remote conversations with some of my guitar playing buddies that are also friends of Wildwood and uh, maybe just have a little coffee clutch, if you will, talking about all things that come to mind. And uh, with coffee, we know that that conversation will be vigorous. Spirited. And, and spirited. So without any further ado, I thought we'd get my buddy David Grissom from beautiful Austin, Texas, by way of Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken, the original locale of yep. your existence. Yes, the bluegrass. Of course, guitar playing potentate uh, and also long-standing signature artist with our friends at Paul Reed Smith Guitars. I've had the good pleasure of massaging many of the uh, DGTs over at Wildwood, but uh, we thought it'd be fun to just kind of shoot the breeze and talk about this whole thing of trying to make, um, to subsist as a musician during these crazy times, but just everything in general, what comes to mind about playing and guitars and all that kind of fun stuff. So first and foremost, what you've been doing lately as you've been on lockdown, what's been fun, what's been different, what's been challenging, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, um, you know, man, I've been trying to make the best of the whole thing. And um, it, it, the excitement around here has been almost palpable. Like you can probably feel it. Uh, we got four inches of rain yesterday. And my studio is in a garage. I built out part of my garage. And when we get extreme rains, it floods. So I have been uh, getting stuff off the floor, doing a dance to make the rain stop and, and hoping that I don't endure my fourth flood in my studio. That's been pretty exciting. Um, in the in the midst of all that, though, you know, I've been really fortunate. Um, I've had a lot of sessions come in. And... All studios are closed right now. Right. And uh, like last week, I did a full track for a major label band. Drums, bass, everything that they needed like now. It was going on a, it's, it's for a kid's record that's going on a compilation record. So having the studio, and then I have this giant dr library of a real drummer playing real drums, well recorded, that I can slice and dice on, you know, there's, there's hardly, there's not too many grooves that I can't, accommodate and so i you know made a drum track played bass put on about 14 guitars send it off to my buddy who put mandolin and fiddle on it sent it to nashville a real guy mixed it and then so that i you know i did a track for damian marley last week 
some guys in New Zealand I've been doing tracks for. And so basically just kind of hold up in my studio. And also a, pr a producer that I work for a lot has uh, informed me he's really tired of sending me stems, you know, where they they break out like guitar and bass. I mean, drums right. on a stereo track. He's he's tired of that. So that I I'm, I've got an assignment to learn Pro Tools. When when I started, I got into digital performer because that's what my friends that were generous enough to help me out with got me on. So uh, I now have Pro Tools too, and I'm teaching myself that language. And uh, you know, man, I'm just trying to make the best of the situation. That um, I don't know. You know, I'm making lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> I can dig it. I can dig it all. So how much stuff did you have to cancel in terms of gigging and so on and so forth and plans that were kind of out several months? Well, it's kind of, uh, you know, I got, I had like several runs with Rodney Crowell that are in the, that are gone. Um, I had a couple of workshops that are indefinitely postponed uh, of course, my, I play every Tuesday night that I'm in Austin at the Saxon Pub, which is sort of my, the grounding gig for me that keeps me, uh, keeps the hamster wheel slowed down in my head where I really get to go blow it out. Um, and, you know, I put out a new record a couple of weeks ago, a live record. So everything that I had booked to go out and promote that is toast. But you know, I thought about put, not putting the record out, but then I thought, well, man, this is the, definitely the time to put out a live record when right. I can't go out and play. People can't come hear me, and maybe it'll kind of fill up, you know, maybe somebody will get a enjoy listening to some live music. Um, yes, and, I have yet to hear this record. I, I can't well, wait to hear I'll it. fix that as soon as we hang up. I'll fix Excellent. that. <laughs> so that's been really cool, and it's it's, uh, it's been a real different experience to release a record right now. Um not being able to go out and do gigs as you know that's what we do we put a record out and then we go do gigs and uh I, you know i did for the first time ever i did a pre-order and i'm using Bandcamp, which has become for me the platform if you're out you know any for anyone who's putting a record out i highly urge you to utilize Bandcamp. it's uh really artist friendly and you set a price and I mean, it. You know, people can pay whatever they want, and they never pay less. It's right. really friendly. Um, so that's been awesome. The pre-order thing was really great, and now there's no shipping. There's no retail. I mean, I can't ship to CD Baby. I am personally mailing every physical copy of this CD out. Yes. Uh, and so the stamp, it's, uh, you know, uh, the stamp bill and the envelope bill are pretty amazing. And my sweet wife goes to the post office every day and stuffs the uh, outdoor boxes full of CDs. It's just, I mean, it's really, it's okay. Right. It's, you know, it's okay. It's okay. It's back to basics. It's, you know, and, uh, um, I miss playing live and I miss friends and I miss being around people, but this is where we are right now. And I'm just doing the best I can. I can dig it. I can dig all of that. And you make a good point about the, uh, the aspect people need some live music right now. I think people yeah. are very receptive to, uh, uh, both wanting to experience any kind of live music, be it, be it via internet or whatever the case may be, but they're also into supporting artists. I think people have been very cool about realizing oh, that uh, 
that, you know, without live performance and all that that entails, uh, musicians are in a, in a strange place, along with, of course, a lot of other people that the economy is, uh, is yeah, it's, it's really affecting everybody, but I've been blown away by the, the, uh, generosity and the concern even you know just not not what you know people buying my you know my records is is you know but just like the letters and emails that i get from people thanking me for they're listening to something that i've done and they're it, it's making them feel good i mean that's like that means a lot yeah absolutely that's, that's an incredibly generous act i think that when people respond if you do something and people, you know, acknowledge that, hey, I like, you know, this is this, I'm digging this. It's it's a really, um, it's meaningful. It means a lot to us, you know, as musicians. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the, uh, you know, we've done some gigs together, and and they're a blast. And I always look forward to the opportunity of playing with you. And what's always interesting is that, you know, we get together and play. We have different styles. But it's there's no like I don't want to use the weird expression. There's no wiener measuring. You know what I mean? It's it's this <laughs> conversational thing where you're confident in your shoes, I'm confident in my shoes, and and we just have this conversation, and and it's a beautiful thing. And it and sometimes you might feel like you know being a little bit more fiery on something or whatever. It is just it's this um, as I said, it's really a conversation. Yeah. But yet, why do you think, and again, I'm, I'm not really, you know, calling out people for this because I think it's just ingrained in our nature, but it's such a weird thing with guitar fans and, you know, guitar players and, you know, the music community that there has to be like a best or who's un, unsung or who's overrated and all this other kind of sweet schnikey. And I just, I mean, I understand it because that's kind of the society we're in. You know what I mean? A football team's got to be the best. Who's the best quarterback? You know, who's this, that, and the next thing? But I find in music, it's just so tiring and just overdone. It's like, why can't you just enjoy things for what they are? I mean, I'm, I understand it. I'm empathetic towards it. But I, I just think it's so cool when people can get together, uh, you know, whether whatever instrument it is, and just have this confidence and ability and mutual admiration to communicate in a way where there isn't this uh, overt barbarism. <laughs> yeah. no, the whole the whole head cutting thing. I'm like I'm not into it, and uh, I, I, I you can I mean I know you're this you you two can tell you when you play with a, a musician who is into it, you feel it like in about 25 seconds. You know, right. if you're playing with someone who's coming from that place, yeah, I don't I rarely encounter that. I think uh, one of the things that did I, I mean, if people ask me all the time about different things and one of the, in, when I do workshops, I stress the uh, beauty of each of us having our own voice and I urge people to cultivate that. And now, you know, I had some experiences when I first started, there was a, about a 10 year period where I was make, doing sessions in Nashville, playing on a lot of records. And um, it was a wonderful part of my life we you know everything was cut live with the full band and the musicians there were you know phenomenal 
Um, initially, I was hanging on for dear life. You know, listen to the demo one time, and you got a bunch of numbers, and then they go make the record like in two takes, and I'm I'm still in the control room. Uh, but what I figured out, what I I got some advice from a, a from an engineer, actually, not even a producer, who told me, said, man, if you're going to go up there, you cannot try to do what someone else up there is doing. You're going to succeed if you do your thing and commit. And I really, that advice served me really well. Um, you know, being a session player, sometimes and quite often, is a kind of a chameleon role where you do right. that you need to be able to step into other somebody says i need like reggie young kind of r&b thing well you got to know what that means you know right. I, need, I need a lucather power ballad kind of thing you got to you know i need an andrew gold harmonized you know you need to know what all that means so that you can right. it. but but at the end of the day i'm i know my experience has been when i do my thing and commit to it it comes off much stronger and i think live you know when you're playing with the other guitar players it's really like greg when i play with you like there's no way i can go you know if i tried to go toe to toe with you i mean there's no way i mean i look like a total idiot <laughs> I, I mean, there's we do such different things, and I mean, you I, you coax things out of the guitar that I'm like, you you know, this guy's from another planet. I mean, it's 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 mind-boggling sometimes some of the things I hear you do, and I just have learned that it's just you know people want to hear you do your thing, and and I, I guess some people kind of get off on the whole idea of. You know, two guys going at it, and you can say he kicked his ass. You know that's right, 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 right. and there's like you see on the internet, there's a lot of that chatter, and I feel really fortunate that I grew up my formative learning years, which hopefully I'm still in. But I mean, when I was in high school and whatever, the, there wasn't that thing going on where the comparison game. I mean, I think that the Instagram comparison game, and I fall into it all the time. You know, I, my, my, my feed is full of guitar players that are unbelievable. And, right. You know, you can, and the minute I start trying to, you know, I let that get into my psyche, like I'm not practicing enough or I need to work on that. I get away from the thing that I do, which has served me well. And uh, so the negativity thing, I feel bad for younger players that, are, you know, that are that get involved or, you know, they can't get away from, you know, this guy's no good or whatever. And I mean, I'm not going to name names, but there are there are three or four unbelievably talented, wonderful guitar player, musician, songwriters that get are the constant subject of debate whether they're any good right. and all of them are freaking great right in my to me as a you know i've been around i've done this for a while I, and i think that they're these guys are like incredible players but that comes with the, i guess that comes with the territory of being really successful and you know you gotta that's just part of the deal now i guess i don't know Although that brings an interesting question as well as to what is the definition of success? Because I know <laughs> to me, you know, I, you know, you know, and someone asks about, um, oh, well, how come you aren't playing here or how come this hasn't happened and so on and so forth. I'm like, look, I pretty much get to play and say whatever I want and make a decent living 
Uh, I don't have to be on the road 300 and some odd days a year. Uh, I'm not beholden to a whole infrastructure of people who depend on me working like a dog nonstop for, for their livelihoods. So, and I, I've been married to the same gal for, for years. That's worked out. The kids are all, you know, yeah. as I, I said, if, if back in the day when Montel was a thing, I was like, look, if I can get through with my wife, not divorcing my kids, not ending up on Montel, I think I'm doing pretty good. So uh, that to me is, is successful. And of course I'm, you know, everyone tries to justify their situation, but I'm happy, you know? So happiness is not necessarily the same thing as success. Cause you certainly look at the people, not everybody, cause there's some good, you know, different examples, probably some of the same examples that you're thinking of is they've managed to, uh, maintain the existence and, and have a level of uh, success that seems to be serving them well. But for the vast majority of people, you, you read biographies of all of our favorite guys, and they all went through uh, a lot of nosedive uh, situations, yep. some of which they didn't pull out of. So uh, the kind of definition of success is, is for a musician that's been in it for a while is certainly different than I think the perception of what success is from a from a layman. You know what I mean? Would you agree with that? I totally agree with that. And it's certainly my idea of success has evolved over the years along with, you know, some other aspects of my personal life. Right. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's just part of a natural progression, but I'm, I'm very much like you in that, you know, if I can just keep doing this, that's the gift. Uh, you know, I get to keep playing music and, um, I have to honestly say, you know, I've been really fortunate to do a lot of things. I've done a bunch of big tours. I played with a lot of, you know, artists that paid me really well. But man, when I go to the Saxon pub on Tuesday night in Austin, Texas for 90 minutes, it's as good as it gets or has ever right. been for me. And, you know, I've got great guys that I play with who I love, like brothers, and half the crowd comes every week. And it's a communion in a way. It's like church. And um, this, uh, you know, I, my studio is very humble, you know, seven foot ceilings. It's a garage that floods, basically. But I have really good gear and I get really good sounds. And now I'm like, backed up with work in here and I can walk across the driveway to my espresso machine. And, you know, my wife just retired from teaching school for 25 years. Um, you know, we get to have lunch together and, you know, when I go to play a gig or go to work on a session, it's not like I don't walk out the door with this fear that I'm not going to be good enough or that I've got to be this guy and I've got to, I've got to totally do this thing. It's more, I really actually operate more from the perspective of, I hope that somebody gets some, forgets about their troubles for an hour and a half, or that I can go play on somebody's record and elevate the music in a way that maybe they were there was, is they helps them hear their songs in a way they never imagined, you know? So those, that, that sort of perspective um, allows me I mean, I don't, I'm not looking to make a, a million dollars and, you know, get a Grammy for my solo record. I mean, like the, just it's been a real Zen organic process to put five stamps on every envelope and sign every CD and drive them to the post office. I mean, it's right. It's just cool. Yeah, it's absolutely. Fun. I agree. It's fun. Absolutely. I can dig it all. Yeah. 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you you went to Austin, Texas uh, a few decades ago. And you were originally from the great Kentucky. state of Kentucky. So, I mean, I, and we've talked about this before, but maybe because uh, I remember when I was when I was in high school and I had to figure out where I was going to go to college, um, you know, I wanted to go to Texas because to me, everything, I mean, Stevie Ray had just come out, but it was more than Stevie. It was, it was all that Texas implied with music. You know what I mean? And it seemed that, um, uh, you know, Austin, Santa, I mean, just everything, every aspect of it from, um, you, you know, from Freddie King to ZZ Top, uh, the fabulous yeah. thing, all, all points in between. And then there was the food, you know what I mean? So there was, there was all of this stuff. And I remember, um, there was a, um, at that time, Herb Ellis had a guitar school in San Antonio. I can't remember what it was called, but that was a place I kind of had my eye on. And, um, and my folks, you know, my dad was a lawyer and, and I was the youngest of seven kids and everyone had gone to college and done traditional. No one else was even remotely musically inclined in the, in the family other than my mom. And so this idea of going to Texas to some unaccredited, you know, place to study guitar was just out of the picture. So I ended up going to school in, in northern Wisconsin and, and whatever happened, happened. But be that as it may. So Texas was kind of a place where it's like, man, I would, I would have loved to have gone there and just started anew. But you actually did that. So I want to hear about that decision and um, – and kind of the development over the years and how it all kind of transpired and then why you chose to stay there and that kind of stuff. Well, it all started when I opened up Trace Ombres <laughs> and looked at the inner sleeve and saw that spread of Mexican food. Yeah. <laughs> it, honest God, that's, it started right there. Can you dig it? So for me, it all started when I opened up the album cover of Trace Ombres and saw the spread of Mexican food in there. And I was a like, sumptuous repast. They do not have that in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, you know, and uh, I love ZZ Top. Um, Billy Gibbons, his whole thing back then, especially, was, was you know, a big influence, but at the same time, I was listening to Wes Montgomery, Norman Blake, Roy Buchanan, BB King. It was that was just part of the equation. But I went to Bloomington, Indiana, when I was seventeen. I went there to go to college, ostensibly to be a music major, and I made it through one year, um, and got into a band that we toured the Midwest for two years. And that band had Kenny Aronoff and a bunch of guys that had graduated from the School of Music. So they were all way more accomplished musicians than me. It was a great experience. I came back to, to Bloomington after that and worked uh, was working in a record store there. And I started listening to Joe Ely, Luann Barton, the fabulous Thunderbirds, uh, the Leroy brothers, Stevie Ray, had just, you know, when he came out. And I was like, man, uh, this is all coming out of Austin, and this is what I'm digging right now. And I had a friend who had moved to Austin who I knew – she used to work at a deli in, in Bloomington, and she would she would pilfer ten sandwiches and bring us bring them to our band house, which was called the Roach Motel. And any, she uh, you know fed fed the band anyway. She'd moved to Austin and uh, invited me down, and I came down to visit her for like four nights and went to hear you know the Cobras uh, with Denny Freeman and Derek O'Brien. 
Joseph Led on Horns at the Continental and then, uh, you know, a couple other things. And I went back home and I packed up my Honda Civic and drove back down, slept on her floor for three uh, three weeks, got a job at Musicland in record store in the mall where I had to wear a tie. <laughs> but they would make, you know, when the district manager would come through to like look at things, he would ask me, he would tell me to go ahead and take the rest of the day off. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think I, he wanted this guy to see me. I don't know what he was, was going on there. But so while I was working there, Stevie's record came out. Um, it, it just, the record hit while I was working at the store. I remember the day that it came into the store. But, in, you know, I ended up playing with all of those people I just mentioned, except for I had to play with the Leroy Brothers, but I recorded and pl- toured with Ely for six years. I worked with Luann Barton off and on for five years. And then I uh, I actually did one fabulous Thunderbirds record after Jimmy left the band. So it was just, I mean, I, it was heaven on earth down here then. It was half as many people. And I've been here ever since. I can't, I keep looking for another place to move to. I think, you know, gosh, I'm if I'm going to do it, I need to do it now. And, uh, you know, I've just kind of come to the realization that this is home and right. I'm staying. And no matter where you go, there you are. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to move again. Oh, I understand. We, uh, we moved to a different house with the clan about three, four years ago now. And then that's something I don't know. I, I don't wish to repeat anytime soon. Although, you know, it's interesting because, you see musician contemporaries of ours that, that move to places and you, know, you always kind of give it a thought, well, is, is that a place to go? But it seems like everyone's moving to Nashville now. And what's interesting is that you, we've talked about this before about how Nashville used to be a place where you would be flown in a couple times a month, probably to do sessions back in the day. And, and Almost clearly eight. all that, all that stuff is kind of dried up, but yet there seems to be more guitar players moving from LA to Nashville now for whatever reason and that's that's interesting to me do you have any thoughts on that i think it's um it's a really vibrant culture there now um but i do feel like just talking to my friends that live there that the supply and demand thing there's just so many great players that uh you know the kind of i was really fortunate to be there when when we were doing major label records it was a double scale union session and because of that i have a pension now you know uh, enough sessions on the card and you know i've been in the union for 30 years um the uh the problem with so many players being there is that though there are guys that you know younger guys that work really cheap right and i can't blame them i want you know i mean i would do anything when people would ask me but it sort of drives the overall pay scale down a notch and i think it's just if you're not out there hustling like big time like out at night being seen it's hard to break into the scene there um the cost of living has really gone up um i just you know again can do my thing better here and and that's you know it goes along with what we were talking about earlier what do what do i do and i think you know if you're a a good player who's trying to figure out where to move how to do it you know do you go on the road do you try to cultivate sessions if you could just take some time to really get put some thought into what are your strengths what do you really want to do you know as opposed to oh i've got to learn all the brent mason thing i've got to you know the tom bukovac thing i've got to you know to, to be in nashville 
well, maybe not, because the reason I worked there for 10 years steadily was because I sounded different. We interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout-out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. Right. Um, but... Um, God, right? Who knows? Who knows where it's all going right now? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I uh, just looking from the point of view of touring and whatnot. Of course, it doesn't matter where you are in that particular situation. But I've I've got look at all the stuff I have for the fall, and you know, let's be honest, none of that stuff's going to happen. You know, there's the overseas stuff that I had booked. I mean, my uh, agent in England's like, I'm, it's going to happen. I'm like, dude, it's probably not going to happen. And I think. Uh, uh, I, you know, yeah. I had a big Italian thing. I mean, that was another thing I didn't even mention earlier, but I, you know, I love going to Italy and I've done, yeah. had really good times and I do well there. And man, I had, it was like, had a nice run coming together with the record coming out and everything. And it's just, they've, they're so decimated over there in certain parts. And I went to the, the Milan, that, that whole area, the Lombardi oh, yeah. twice last year. And, uh, you know, I was getting friends calling me from there like a month before it hit here really bad and it was it was really sad and yeah they're still recovering and they will be i mean it's so god you know like when do we get to go back and do it right it's and, and will it ever really be what it was before we don't know we have no idea what's gonna but you know you gotta remain optimistic and i am and see what happens. I've been fortunate enough that, you know, I can do stuff remotely and that seems to be going well thus far and uh, all other kind of stuff. But you know, what, what's interesting is that it seems like the desire for people to, to play guitar um, and to still want to do things like, you know, uh, purchase music, purchase uh, instructional material, and Skype lessons or whatever, the, and, and guitars and, and amps and all that kind of stuff. That's, that seems to be still happening for now, yeah. thank God. Uh, of course, with the economy doing what it's doing, we'll see what happens. But again, uh, remaining optimistic, uh, we shall see what transpires. But tell us a little, what's that now? I'm trying to stay in gratitude. It gets, yeah, me, exactly. it gets me a long exactly. way down the road. Uh, I did want to talk to you about, and we'll see if we've got enough time on this particular uh, thing, unless we have to log back in again. But just a little bit about uh, your DGT guitar, because I, you know, I, I play a lot, obviously, of guitars when I'm doing the Wildwood thing, and um, and there's some Paul Reed Smith guitars that really uh, speak to me. Some in a different way, and some not. Some I mean, they're all beautiful instruments. Don't get me wrong, but. Uh, I just think ergonomically and everything, my, my, my favorite one is yours. I mean, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your keister, but it's just, it's just a, a great sounding guitar. Uh, I love the way that the pickups are able, you know, you can, uh, coil tap them in a, in a, in a meaningful way. And I think I, you know exactly what I'm talking about in that regard. And, and, you know, Mr. Wiggles works great. You know, the whammy bar works great. And so you kind of got this truly hybrid instrument. Yeah, man, you know, the, um, PRS has got something for everyone. Um, and I kind of think that my, the DGT fills a certain corner of their, their, uh, offerings, if you will. And it's certainly the most, I think, vintage inspired guitar that they, right. that they make. Um, 
I've been playing PRS guitars since they became a public company and have been actively, you know, fortunate to work with Paul, you know, for, since, uh, you know, a couple of years after that, I met Paul in uh, 87 and we have had a back and forth uh, dialogue about guitar making, pickups, tone, all that. Um, so my, the guitars that I've played have evolved over the years, starting with a, you know, the Seafoam Green Standard to my Gold Top right. in 87. Um, then the McCarty was a guitar that I, myself and the artist relations person at the time, kind of put together. And I played those guitars for years and then mo it started modifying that and doing little tweaks and you know, by around 06, we decided that we kind of had a new model. And then um, I worked with a guy here in Austin named Ed Reynolds, and we does, we spent a year on the pickups. And I just was trying to get, I have a 59 335 that does, it's like sort of the Stradivarius of electric guitars uh, in terms of what I'm familiar with and what I've played. Uh, I owned... I owned a 59 Burst at one point. This guitar kind of killed that guitar. Ah. Unfortunately, I sold that guitar about five years too, too early. <laughs> Would have been ah. a zero on the end of the selling price. But uh, it the 335, it just it has this thing. And the, so with the pickups, we really worked to get the same quality uh, out of the out of the pickups, uh, like a, a PAF-ish thing. Um, which varies wide widely you know you could right. pick up 10 guitars with pafs and they were wound by hand and somebody was smoking a cigarette and forgot to turn the machine off or whatever but this uh, this guitar seems to have the really nice balance between clarity and still being you know having some mid-range drive to it so i've played pafs that were just basically like really bright almost to the telly range which those are great too for certain things but we were kind of shooting for what we used my 335 as sort of the ballpark on the pickups and then um we changed the electronics to where the you know two volume controls and one the the bridge pickup volume control is closer to my little finger and the next shape we worked on we changed the frets there's just a lot of a lot of little things that add up to something that I think makes a big difference. It's a, it's a much different instrument than in, like some of their other models. Um, and you know, and I mean this complimentary towards uh, PRS, but it's sort of the PRS for people that don't normally like PRS. It's the the uh, it's just a different breed breed of cat than what than than their other guitars and. It has really served me well. I, you know, I mean, I did a session here last week and I went through, I mean, literally I was trying to get, I just could not get the sound I was looking for on this solo that I was cutting for someone who's very specific and very picky. And I'd already loaded the track up with guitars. And so, you know, that's an art into itself is layering. Right. You know, you've got to be really careful. You're not repeating the same frequencies, but uh, you know, overlapping frequencies and not too much mid-range buildup, not too much low-end buildup and everything. But, I mean, I went through about five great vintage guitars and amps. And, man, at the end of the day, I picked up my 10-year-old DGT and then the PRS amp that I worked on with Doug Sewell. And it was it, man. It was like all right. of a sudden there it was. And so some of that is my 
having played the guitar and so much and being in tune with it, but I, you know, it's kind of interchangeable with a lot of great vintage guitars that I have. And, um, you know, it's not a Les Paul, it's not a Telecaster, but I can cover both of those, those, you know, grounds almost. I'm not right. going to, you know, I mean, a Tele is really hard to, there's a thing in a good Tele with the bridge, you know, with the plate on the bottom of the bridge and man, and your Fishman pickups capture, I don't know how you did it, but those capture the really, when I think of a Telecaster tone, those pickups get it too, but I can get super close to that, you know, but the, the coil tap does actually work and is usable in those guitars and in the studio it's really valuable, but you know, I go play a gig live, man. I don't, I just set it. I put, I keep it on the bridge pickup, use my hands and the volume control and a couple of pedals and I can do, right. you know, you, when we did, when, went out and did those gigs a couple of years ago or whatever, I remember you just gotten your signature amp and you know, it's like that it's the two channel amp that the only one I've ever seen or played through or heard that I could use because it just both channels sound organic and the clean's not too clean and the dirty's not too dirty, but your one effect was a coiled cord. And I'm like, right on, man, you know, <laughs> you, know uh, you know, use your hands, you know, to get those sounds. But that's a, that's something that I think, you know, we get so caught up in this gear thing, you know, we've got to, you know, the, I see a lot of the 40 pedal and four chord thing going on, you right. know, you know, it's like if we could reverse that ratio and <laughs> put a little more practice time in and a little bit more yeah, internet uh, gear browsing that that'll, that goes a long way. But back to the PRS thing, it's just, it's just something that I um, have been really fortunate to be involved with them and made that just kind of a part of what I do. And I'm, as much as I try to, there are, there are times I think I could, move into a different instrument on a more regular basis, I always come back to it. Sure. I understand. It kind of brings me to, uh, I don't know, I've been <clears throat> having an interesting way of trying to articulate this. I was doing a, a live Instagram thing earlier today and kind of got on this subject a little bit. And, and to your point about like too many pedals and so on and so forth, it isn't a matter. It's like, you know, and I know you're of the same mind. Like, look, if you want to play with a lot of pedals, Go ahead. You know what I mean? If you oh, want to, I mean, absolutely. If, if you want to play with no pedals, cool. Uh, if you want to play uh, a vintage instrument, fine. If you want to play a new instrument, that's fine. But but what's interesting is that you know, again, with uh, the seeming never-ending need for humankind to draw some kind of herd mentality into something. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, I know guys are like, well, you know, in order for music to be real legit, you got to play it on a, on a vintage instrument. And, and, you know, as you were saying, there are certain things that vintage instruments do that can't be replicated on something else, but the music doesn't care necessarily. It's whatever tool in the moment that is to inspire the person to make the best amount of mu best music in the moms, as I like to say. And whether that means you're playing an instrument, been an instrument or not, doesn't really matter. By the same token, if if you're feeling it with just a chord and an amp, and that's cool, fine. If you feel like, hey, I want to use these weird effects, to, that's all well and good. But there's, you know, there always just seems to be such a um, you know, someone's got to wear a badge. You know what I mean? There, there's a, there's, I'm a vintage guy and therefore I am, I am valid or, yeah. 
you know, or, and whatever the case would be. And, it, and it's just kind of interesting. And, and to the other point too is, is that it, it, people get so caught up in the consumer aspect of being a guitar. But, in, it, but again, I think who cares if that's what you want to do and that's what's fun for you, fine. But truly, as you well know, you could be held up at a corner with one guitar, one little amp, and one chord and find a way to make music because at at the crux of it, that's what we're all in it for to begin with. But there's other people that, you know, and I'm sure you do this where you, you teach a Skype lesson or you're hanging out with people and, and you'll have these people that are fans and they, and they want to hang out with you. They don't necessarily want to learn the stuff. You know what I mean? They just want to be around it. And again, yeah. that's, that's cool too. You know that's what I mean? Cool too. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, uh, there are times when I'll get a new pedal or a new instrument or a new amp and I, it does inspire me to go down a path. Maybe I wouldn't have gone down and, and for a while it might make me want to play more, but you know, at the end of the day, we've all seen those guys at vintage guitar shows that are trying out the 50, the $250,000, 59 less ball through an amp that they've got the master on one in the preamp on 10. And it doesn't matter what guitar you have plugged into that amp. I don't know how you're, so, you know, if you're a vintage guy, if you're not a, if you don't have a certain level of proficiency, there's no way you're going to bring out the character of the instrument. I, I mean, sorry. Right. You're not, you're not going to, you're not, you're not going to be able to fully uh, get what makes those vintage guitars special. And there are a lot of vintage guitars that are dog guitars, but you know, they're not all great. Um, There are so many great new instruments and new amplifiers out there right now. I mean, you know, I could make you a list of, uh, of five guitars and five amps that are like just phenomenal and you know it's such a luxury that we have them have those things out there right now that that you can buy for a fraction of the cost of certain vintage instruments right it comes back to i mean i hate to say it but like what you're talking about you got to do the work and what i found after doing this for a few years is that practice still works oh indeed my practice it's amazing to me you know and lately I've been so caught up in, you know, in, in, you know, when it's, it's a, it's a, it, when I do a lot of sessions, that's not practicing. It's right. good. I've got a guitar in my hands, but there's a lot of, you know, to get paid as a session player, it's not how fast or how unique it's like, can you play? Like, can you have, a, do you, how's your pocket? Can you come right. up with parts? So I'm playing parts and I do a lot of acoustic guitar. It's, it's basically strumming or, you know, simple finger picking things. And so that's not really stretching my chops. I've, you know, but, but I've been really busy in my studio. And also I'm trying to, I've got a, you know, I'm like so late to the YouTube party. I've got a new YouTube page and I'm learning how to do all that, but I'm putting a bunch of videos up. One of which I just put up about, you know, getting sounds. And uh, before we got into this quarantine situation where I was regularly playing live gigs, I got, uh, you know, I go through these phases where I'll actually have the time to do more practicing and it, it, man, it makes a, a tremendous difference in like I show up at the gig if I practice like an hour a day for like three days the week before and maybe a little bit that afternoon and I get warmed up before I go to the gig I I'm I'm a different player absolutely and, yeah. and that's so much of why um 
I, and that's another thing. It's very interesting. Um, I get a lot of questions from guys want to know how I set up. They got the, uh, you know, like I have a pedal with Jetter that Brad and I, he makes great overdrive pedals that I, you know, we work together on and people say, well, how do you set up that pedal? Or how do you set up your Strymon El Capistan delay? And I'm like, well, this is how I set up, but I have a certain attack. I have a really hard attack. And here, not a heart attack, a heart, you right. know, I, play, I can play, I play really aggressively at times, not all the time. So that the way I set up pedals may not apply to another player at all. And in a very nice way, I say, you know, without seeing you play or hear, right. hearing and see, but I also want to see how hard you're hitting the strings and where are you, where's your pick hitting the string what kind of pressure are you using with your left hand? And then I could give you better advice and make, I could probably, you know, I can, I think you and I both, we can look at a, an intermediate beginning intermediate guitar player. And in five minutes, make three or four suggestions. And if they actually practice it, they're like, their playing can go to a different level really quickly. And right. It's um, so how do you set your pedals? I mean, like, you know, I plug into, I, I did a record with Robin Ford many years ago and I was, you know, did some touring with him and I plugged into his rig and I sounded just like me. Right. You know? And, and it doesn't sound anything like Robin Ford. I plug into Eric Johnson's rig and I'm, it's like a bull in a China shop. His touch is so light and there's so much delay And the way I play. It's, it's, it's off. I mean, it sounds like, but he has dialed it into his touch. Just right. like, and that's what I, when I hear guys that have their own sound and really know how to use gear, that's where they're coming from. Right. I can dig it. Crazy. But it's well, fun. I'll tell you what. It's fun. It's been, well, it is fun. It, it, it never gets old. I mean, no. uh, you know, I like, I do like messing around with gear, but you know, the, I just like playing. You know what I mean? I just mm-hmm. sit down and just start playing. And then I'll go back and listen to such, I'm just such a teeny bopper still. I mean, yeah. I it's like, I'll go back and play along with Zeppelin records. I just, yeah. I love it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and, the, and people are posting old bootleg stuff. And uh, I'll go on and I'll listen to old Hendrix bootlegs and, and Cream. And then I'll go through the blues thing and go, you know, do the deep dive there. And all. But most of it is just, I don't care what I'm playing. It's whatever's at the moment. But I did want to mention one thing when you were, you were talking about the gear in terms of vintage versus... Uh, uh, like newer stuff. Someone asked me the other day on the inner Googles, they said, um, well, when do you play your 53 telly as opposed to your Reverend guitar? And the best comeback I could, and it was just, this was a tweet. So I just tweeted back. I go, well, the 53 is a special occasion guitar and the Reverend is an all occasions guitar. And, mm-hmm. and it's because I love the sound of my 53 telly, but I like it clean partially because if I put any gain on it, the neck picker howls like a beast and I just don't want to get it redone. Yeah. But that's what's so glorious about the guitar. It just sounds so good, clean, and it's so yeah. fun to play with that tone. I just yeah. don't want to mess with it. But I can't really I mean I do take it out to gigs and I will find a couple of tunes to play on it. But usually I'm on the bridge pickup because if I go to the neck pickup land it's just gonna howl like a pig. Yeah. Um, but playing around the house it's magnificent. But a newer instrument to me, I mean I've tricked out the, my reverend to be exactly what I need for a performance vehicle. And so therefore, that's a guitar I prefer to play. But so many times when you do a signature instrument, you know, the observer wants to think it's all about the money. And, you know, of course, you gotta figure out ways to have income. But the first and foremost thing is, 
the guitar has got to be inspired. Am I right or am I right? I mean, I wouldn't play a guitar that didn't inspire me. I'm not, I would, I don't put my name on anything or endorse anything that I don't believe in. I think right. that comes down to integrity too. You know, I mean, if I, I, uh, I just, it's gotta be something I'm going to use all the time and, or, or at least a lot or on, on, you know, especially with pedals, you know, I, I don't use the same pedals on every, I have three pedal boards and right. one, one has four pedals and one has eight and then one has like 12 for studio right. stuff. And, um, uh, I just, I think that, you know, I do want to say, I will say that I think finding the right gear enhances your ability to translate what you hear in your head and what you want to hear come out of the speaker, you know, to the speakers. I think that there is, um, I mean, for me personally, you know, the different, having a great, you know, a couple of guitars and, and an amp for the average player, a couple of guitars and maybe a couple of amps, and then really bonding with those instruments is, 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 uh, I mean, I just feel better when I pick up a guitar I've been playing a lot lately. It's kind of, you keep it, you keep, you keep it alive. You keep, you, you, I don't think as much. Um, and I think having good, you know, and another, you know, like little things that, like cables, cables can really change the sound and people don't sure. think about cables that much or they balk at paying a hundred dollars for a guitar cable. And I've beat several of them. I use, I mean, I use Astrobe cables. I hear a difference. I like sure. them. They sound better than anything else I've tried and it makes a big difference. Um, Absolutely. You know, well, in, in the guitar, <laughs> every time I go out and I have to play all those guitars every day, the whole reason why, well, one of the reasons why I think the videos are effective is because going through my mind every time I'm playing guitar is, should I buy this one? <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's, the most ex it's an expensive trip. You go there to make money and it costs you money by the time you leave Wildwood. That's exactly or, or, or it could and not you know exactly although I, I i have i have taken many instruments uh but it, it, it's one of those things where it's you know i i have to obviously as everyone does you have to mitigate the uh the addiction <laughs> anyway and i do go through phases where I'm, i gotta have this i gotta have that and then i'll purge and then i'll get more and so that's just like a never-ending part of it but it's it's all just fun. But at the at the end of the day, as they say, it's just all about sitting and playing the guitar. Whatever mm -hmm. motivates that process is really uh, what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. In a nutshell. I agree. Well, listen, my friend, we've come up on an hour. But thanks so much for spending time and telling, spending some yarns with us here. Well, my pleasure, man. Thank you for inviting me. I, and, and all the Wildwood folks uh, want to send a big shout out to all of them. They're wonderful people. And what a what a fabulous shop they have. And uh, well, I'll tell you what, when this pestilence is all over, we got to have you out because you got to see that new shop. It's magnificent. Oh, I can't oh, wait I to get back out there myself. I haven't seen the new shop. It's it's awesome. It's yeah. it's very very tastefully done, and uh, and the and the video uh, layer, the Wildwood layer now is is on site, so that mm -hmm. makes it even more spectacular. So when the pestilence clears, David, we shall reconvene out in beautiful Louisville, Colorado. I'm all I'm 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 all for it. All right, my friend. Well, stay safe, and we shall talk soon. Thank you, you so too. much. You too. Thank you so much, Greg. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Bye bye. Thanks.
Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the Mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon, or you'll hear me soon. <laughs>